Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned. But because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation, apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. My guests today are actually some of my family members. I'm sitting with my mom and my aunt and my cousin. So it's Mary, Michelle, and Carrie. Welcome, you guys. Thanks. (laughs) In triple stereo. (laughs) Thank you for being here. What does our audience need to know about who you are to make the most of our conversation today? Who wants to go first? (laughs) my aunt's pointing at my mom they were joking before we started recording about how she was going to go first because she's the oldest so right um and i'm i'm not sure what i would want to communicate to everybody about what you need to know because i don't feel like there's a whole lot of excitement to know i'm 65 live on my own still working anxious to quit i'm a grandmother Love to travel, like to spend time outside, like to spend time with my dogs. Life is on the quiet side, and I'm content with that. And my cousin Carrie? Um, I'm 23 years old. Um, I'm fresh out of college. I haven't started a job yet. Um, I played basketball while I was in college, and basketball has kind of been what's taken up most of my life, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I was raised in a house with a mom and a dad who have been married for 
28 years. That's incredible to think about, isn't it? Like, I can't even believe that. Yeah. That's so weird to have you say that. Yeah. And it's been, I mean, I can't, can't complain. I have two siblings. I'm the youngest. So. And my aunt Michelle. Um, so I'm the younger sister. <laughs> I'm 50. Um, I do not work. I've been blessed to uh, not have to do that. Uh, I've got three children. Carrie, obviously, is my youngest. And um, I have a wonderful husband who has been supportive and loving and maybe sometimes too much so. But um, huge sports fanatic, love to travel, Love to be outside, love the sun, love the beach. Just like to be free. Yeah, Michelle, how do you identify or define success? Um, you know, I think that's really a personal thing. I can't, I can't necessarily say that I would put a generalized meaning on that because I think it's different for everybody. Um, to me, success is not necessarily always being happy because I think that there's so much to learn and struggle. Uh, but I think that finding a path, something that you love, um, and pursuing that, whatever that may be, whatever that may mean. So I don't know. That's how I would define that. Carrie? I would define it as... Being at a place where you're comfortable in your life, um, money security, just being secure with yourself. Um, also, uh, just having goals for yourself and maybe not necessarily achieving those goals, but achieving enough of them to where the point where you're like, I, I made it, you know, um, I think that's what success is to me. Having, having something to strive for and mm -hmm. then achieving at least a piece of it yeah yeah mom and success for me uh is synonymous with the word acceptance i think you're successful in your life when you accept what life brings you and and granted we have a lot of choice but there are also many things we don't have control over and if you spend your life struggling against that uh, you lose your contentment. You lose your ease. Like Cheryl Crow said, it's not wanting, it's not getting what you want. It's wanting what you have. Kind of thing. So Carrie, if you're plotting your life on that spectrum between ordinary and extraordinary, where do you plot your life and why? For me, to be ordinary would be after college, just joining the real world, getting a job that's a nine to five, that's what everybody kind of, you know, expects um, to be extraordinary would be to be able to go overseas and play basketball and create that life for me myself and experience that. And then I would like to go into coaching. And so, um, yeah, I feel like for me, extraordinary would be the start of playing overseas and having a professional career in basketball. So at the moment, it feels like life is pretty ordinary, mm -hmm. but what you have your sights set on is extraordinary. Is extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, Michelle? You know, that's a, a tough question. Um, I, I suppose we'll get into this a little bit more, but my our mother raised us to be, or me, to be very independent. And so when I got married out of college and had 
my son nine months later, I struggled with that because I, um, I was to be independent. And the life that we were living, he was a Marine, so I was kind of destined to follow him. And I didn't, I didn't have the ability to reinvent myself. So if you were to ask me about my life, I would say I've lived a very ordinary life just because I've not ever stepped out and tried to do something extraordinary. And that's on me. That's on me. It's to me. <laughs> um, I, I would echo this, the same thought, I suppose, that Michelle did, that I think the life that I lead now is an ordinary life, and I think I've generally led an ordinary life, but I also believe that life is a ticket to a magic show and filled with extraordinary moments. So while I may not lead an unconventional life, I think I've had my share although I want more, of extraordinary experiences. And today is an ordinary day, but I hope that the future still holds lots of extraordinary experiences for me. What you just said about today being an ordinary day reminded me of Laurel's mom, because after the accident, mm -hmm. I remember her saying every day that is ordinary and regular is a miracle because their family had just gone through such an extraordinary loss. Interesting. Yeah. And I just think it's uh, what you said struck that chord for me. And it's, it's an interesting idea that that was like brought to the surface and we kind of get lost in that mm -hmm. sometimes I think and lose, lose perspective. What seems kind of blah and bland might actually be Excellent. the blessing of our life. So as a family, what would you guys say are three, three themes, events, experiences that the family has experienced that have most maybe shaped our, our family or us as individuals in our family, our relationships with each other? Are there three that you guys can agree on? I don't know, everybody's perspective is so unique and individual. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm looking at my life, I would say one of the one of the things that had the greatest influence was not necessarily being raised by a single mother, but being raised without the influence of men in my life. So, you know, my father not being present, my brothers not being present, my elementary school education in the Catholic school where boys and girls were kept separate. So until I was, you know, 12 years old, I didn't really have the influence of or the presence of men in my life. So I think that's been pretty telling for me. And I think that's interesting because, I mean, flip that for me. I had the presence of a, a father until I was 10. Um, not necessarily a positive influence, but I would definitely agree with you on the lack of a male because I think even from 10 on, you know, there's a lot of right. informative, and I think even up to the age of 10, it wasn't necessarily a positive experience, though. No, like he was really not really involved in your life. Yeah, so I would definitely agree with the lack of a, of a male influence and how that shapes your relationship. Future relationships with men. Just in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even like with 
our, my son. I mean, I, you know, that shapes how you, not just your relationship with outside men, but even as you raise it, you know, at best time as well. So... I mean, for me, I've had my father in my life, and I've had a brother, so I, I've had men in my life, but for me, I feel like making connections with men are harder for me. Um, when I was younger, I was not attached to my dad very well. I was definitely a mom's girl, and I, like, almost hated my dad when he would come around. I would scream at him to get away from me, and, I mean, I, like... As I've gotten older, like, I feel like even, like, I've had a better connection with my father, and I, I mean, we are on good terms by, like, most definitely, like, he's the most awesome man. I love him, but I just feel like for me, like, it's creating a connection with, like, a man is sometimes harder for me. So one theme for our family perhaps is the male factor and it expresses itself differently depending on where you are in the family and what part you play but it sounds like that's kind of across the board you know something that comes up for everybody what else what would be the second the second thing the world itself travel for me you know the opportunity to see how other people live different cultures, even even within the United States, how diverse this country is, both in terms of geography and lifestyle. And well, I'm glad you brought that up, Mom, because one of the reasons that we actually decided to do a family episode today is because of part of how our family has lived um, in Nebraska. We all treasure that aspect of life, that opportunity that we had. Yeah, and I would call it more farm life, and maybe the lessons of farm life maybe have impacted us each differently, but I think have definitely impacted us. Yeah, played a role. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky enough when I was young, um, before Michelle was born and Mom was working full-time, and so it was just the two of us at home when school would let out. In June, she'd be at a loss as to what to do with me for the entire summer, so I'd get to spend a certain amount of time in Nebraska with her sisters and, you know, my uncles and cousins on their respective farms, and that was an incredible experience, especially to reflect back on as an adult, and as I observe how much the world has changed and the family farm is disappearing, I'm incredibly grateful for having had those days. Will you guys paint a picture of the farm? Like, what does the farm look like? Well, I know it's it's changing now a lot, but, like, let's rewind a little bit to the years of the farm's glory and paint that picture. Uh, I mean, for me, and I think um, I just, so this was our Aunt Lorraine and Uncle Norman's farm, um, and the rest had farms, but I think that they, in the truest sense of the word, were farmers as far as having chickens and pigs and cows and crops and just running the gamut of what is involved in a farm. They had the red buildings. They did. <laughs> and the white one was the chicken house. Yeah. But, you know, they had all the red 
Absolutely. Yeah. That what you would picture of a farm to me. Um, but I, I didn't have the luxury of spending the summers, but when we would go back to visit, you would drive into the lane and you would just immediately, I mean, the smells of the farm would just inhabit your nose and your pores and just, it just became you, you know, the, the nasty smell of the pigs and the chickens and the, I mean, you know, the, it was always summertime, so they were coming in to have a meal at, you know, when they were harvesting and when they were planting, and, um, you know, Aunt Lorraine was always responsible for that. But on the flip side, man, she could bake like there was no other. Yeah. You would walk into her pantry, and there would be candies and cookies. And lard. And lard. Lard. Yeah. Did she bake all the time, like when it was just her and Norman, or would she do that because you guys were around? She would bake all the time because, like Michelle was just saying, um, at noontime, Norman would would come up and there would be a meal. But in the afternoons, they would take lunch, and that's kind of what she would call it, around 3 or 3.30 in the afternoon out to the fields. Um, And it would be sandwiches and cookies or cake or pie and lemonade. Sounds so awesome. (laughs) Because Norman would have, you know, the boys that he'd hire for the summer helping him out there in the fields. And so she'd always take, you know, a a lunch out to them mid-afternoon because they wouldn't come in until dark for supper. So it was a long time between, you know, that midday meal and, and the nighttime meal. So, yeah, she would always bake to have things to take out and, you know, have things for Norman. So there was always, there was always plum dumplings. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. Sherry candy at Christmas time <laughs> that I always thought was the bomb. Yeah, she would pick, she, they had fruit trees, apricots and apples, and she had a plum tree, and she would pick plums and make dumplings with the plum inside. You know, they were real unusual, really good. Yeah, and your, your images of the farm are great. When I was young, there was a white farmhouse, you know, the traditional old white farmhouse there, too, and um, there was a little bedroom right off the kitchen, a little teeny tiny bedroom. All it had in it was a bed, and that's where, where I would sleep, and they'd wake up early in the morning because when we would milk, he had cows, and he had milk twice a day, so he was up at 4.30 to be out there by 5 and get things going for the cows, and so you'd hear the pots rattling, and... I always feel a little guilty about being in bed, but... Did you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I just couldn't drag myself out, you know, because it's still dark outside, and, you know, I was a kid, so... He'd come back up for breakfast after he was done with milking, around eight or so, and um, then we'd have eggs and toast and bacon and ham and... And all that stuff came from them. Yeah. And milk. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody's making faces about milk. Yeah. You'd open the refrigerator door, and inside the refrigerator, it'd smell like cow. And you'd look up, and there'd be a like a Miracle Whip, those big glass Miracle Whip containers. And at the top would be the cream, and everything else would have settled to the bottom. And you just have to pour your milk off from under that layer of cream. Yeah. Rasta. It's a way to way to cure a kid of drinking milk for sure. <laughs> Carrie, what's one of your favorite stories of the farm? Like when you think about the farm, what comes up for you? So I saw the farm after the men had been 
like non-existent in the army's life after they had passed. So most of what I know from the farm is like just the the fields went on forever of different um, crops that they would grow, and she would have people come in and um, harvest them for her. And then the main thing I remember are the cats. I love the little yeah, cats. There was cats. hundreds and hundreds of cats when I went. And I just always would love to go. They always had kittens at that time when I would go. And I'd always pull out the kittens. And I wanted to take one home, but my mom wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember her growing rhubarb. And so, like, this, like, last time I went with her, like, that was, rhubarb was, like, her main thing she was growing. And she always wanted to take me out to showed me her rhubarb plant in the back and like so she was making rhubarb everything like it literally I so the rhubarb was out back by the chicken coop not in that it garden just area in, the, in like in her backyard area so at the house like just in the backyard there were some trees along that yeah 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 put a rhubarb plant like right in front of that cool she did that and I just remember her making like I can't remember exactly it was like a rhubarb cake or some type of dessert that she had made and it was it was good I remember liking it but it was just like rhubarb rhubarb she kept talking about it I didn't even know what this plant was so you know it's interesting because I mean I'm glad you brought the rhubarb up because I don't think people cook very much with rhubarb anymore Mm -hmm. you know it's just old school older generations and stuff that you hear still comment on rhubarb and the other thing was gooseberries do you guys remember gooseberries no yeah they're little green berries and they've got little white lines they look like little teeny tiny green grapes they've got little white lines through them anyway gooseberry jam was a big deal gooseberry pie she had a gooseberry bush too one just to talk about yeah, I would say Carrie's the only one that's been exposed to rhubarb because that is not. My mom loved it, right? But that's not something that I ever. Oh, really? Loved? No, so right. I wouldn't have carried that flavor on for. You know, the strawberry rhubarb jam was okay because the strawberry kind of covers it up. Rhubarb. Yeah, yeah rhubarb. I've stayed far away from rhubarb my entire life. Yeah, <laughs> I don't intend on changing. <laughs> I can't say I blame you. Do you like rhubarb, Carrie? I don't like it by itself, but she made it in like a cake, or I can't. I don't even know exactly what she. You had enough sugar, maybe you yeah. can get it down. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's super tart though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was there, I mean, it was. Uh, there were times when we would go over the holidays, and so we'd be in Nebraska in the winter time. But most most of the time, I spent there summer, so it was hot and humid and buggy. Yeah, flies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, especially with all the animals Mm -hmm. and I would always get a heat rash and have headaches and you know I remember I remember struggling with that but those were the days of uh, at Clem and Janine's house on their farm and Clem was uh, I'm going to stop you for one second because our listeners haven't actually heard us talk about Clem and Janine yet they only know about Aunt Lorraine and Uncle Norman so before you tell the story will you plot them in the family tree so that it makes so, sense so Janine and Lorraine were sisters and um, Janine lived down the road not too far from Lorraine and they lived um, in a farm house but not on a traditional farm as Lorraine and Norman did. They had land that belonged to Janine's husband's father. Um, and Janine's husband was named Clem, and he would farm his father's land. He'd come home from his, he'd work construction during the day, and come home at night and have something to eat, and then put on his headlamp and get out on his tractor and work out in the fields in the dark. That is so 
crazy Mm -hmm. to think about the amount of work and like how strong his body had to be to do hard manual labor all day and then hard manual labor into the night. He loved the farm. I mean, the day job was just enough to get him through. Right. The farm is where his heart really was. Right. And he had to split that acreage with his brothers. And so I don't think that he had enough farmland to support the family, which is why he had the construction job. So the farm part of it, I mean, that's my yeah, recollection. I'm not sure it's 100% accurate, but what struck me was the headlamp because you drive by tractors today and they all have the big yeah. lamp. I mean, you can the see light miles yeah. they're out in the fields working. So right. I can just imagine that headlamp, you know, like the miner's headlamp right. on the front of his. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is like 50 and 55 years ago that technology would be. When he had quite a different, yeah, there was a headlight on the tractor. Oh, but still, you know, that's all there was was that little light. one headlight. Yeah, so he would wear a headlamp too, so that he could rotate his head and yeah, see what was going on out there. So yeah, he would. They were, and they had pigs, and they had chickens, but they certainly didn't have cows like Lorraine and Norman did. That really ups the farm factor. Absolutely. At least for me, it did when we visited there when I was a kid. No, it did. Cows, like, Norman made it a whole new level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Norman milked. And then he also raised steers that he'd send to the, you know, the slaughterhouse. So he raised money, or raised cows for beef. So, yeah, he had it going on in terms of farm life. Norman did. Clemmy was a little more low-key. Um, but Clem and Janine had a tree house in the trees that lined the cornfield in the back of their house. And so I remember spending afternoons reading. You don't remember that? Everybody's shaking their heads, except for mom. Yeah. Um, Looks like that strikes a nerve a little bit. So it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things, how do you um, balance the need for growth and... Um, you know, moving on and still maintain the simplicity and the beauty of farming and that life and the community that they have. Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of that is gone too. You know, we go back and they talk about so and so who lived on this farm and that, you know, that one and off tram road and, you know, they just, they knew. Everybody. They went well, to school with these people, and everybody went to everybody's wedding, yeah. and everybody went to everybody's funeral, and yeah, very close in it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, simpler times for sure. And there's a, I agree with you. You know, there, there's just a huge sadness in that loss. But how do you, how do you keep up with the world and where it's going? Yeah, you know, you can't preserve, can't preserve those things. But it's just such a shame. Yeah, there's so many, so many memories and so many, I mean, Clemmie would come home at night and there was a, a rare night when we could get him not to go out into the fields and we'd drive over to a little town called Richfield and sit in the back of his pickup and watch a drive-in movie. Or when the fair was in town, that was a really big deal. You know, the fair would be in the park there in Papillion and so we'd all 
pile in the car and drive into town after dinner. And it was magic walking around in the dark with, you know, the lights of the fair and the cotton candy and the little rides <laughs> and, you know. The picture in my mind has all these, like, twinkle lights and sparklers that's and American it, flags. Yeah, that's the way it felt, Just you know? that, like, nostalgic vintage. Right. Yeah. That's the way it felt, you know. Maybe selling lemonade and... And he I, had a Harley, too. He was a Harley rider and loved his motorcycles. And so every time we'd go, that would be the first thing. Like, Jim, who was his son, would have to take me on a motorcycle ride. You know, I'm a city girl. I don't, I don't get that experience. Speeding up and down those dirt yeah. roads. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the real joy of, you know. Bugs in your teeth. Hold on to Jim. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, there were bugs in Jim's teeth, not mine, because I was, you know, holding on for dear life. Mm-hmm. With that occasional peek around the shoulder, but, you know. Yeah. That freedom of moving fast and feeling the wind blowing by you and the heat of it all. Is it, yeah. Know, the humidity and the heat as it just flew past. Yeah. Yeah, it probably took me for a motorcycle ride one night when we were going up and down those hills, and I did get a bug in my eye. <laughs> yeah, so I'm hanging on the back. Yeah, my eyes all swollen up by the time I get back to the house. You know, I just wanted him to pull over. Pull over! But he had no idea what was going on, you know? And I think maybe as time has gone by, and um, like some of the things that I've learned from them now are more attitudes. Um, mentalities. You know, Aunt Lorraine used to just always talk about, um, you know, you didn't complain. You didn't... Yeah. You just... Life is what it is. You just take it on the chin and you get up tomorrow and you do it again. I mean, it just... You know, we didn't have the... Where we all had to talk about how we felt about it and all the loss that they experienced through their lives. You know, all of them. Just how... Stoic they were. Yeah. Very. Yeah. I think there's some beauty in that. It was, it's admirable. I mean, yeah, we look at those women now, particularly Lorraine. We kind of look at her as the godfather of our family. So. I mean, she was <laughs> so true. Yeah, she was just a badass. And she, she didn't put up with any complaining. And not that she was intolerant or impatient with it. She just, in a very matter-of-fact manner, would say, you know, get over it. Right? Well, and you never felt, at least I never felt, like Aunt Lorraine was hard or inaccessible or cold, mm-hmm. which I think sometimes comes with that stoicism. Mm-hmm. But I never felt she was that. She just felt strong as an ox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just strong. Their mom, grandma for me, had passed when I was pretty young, so I didn't get to have a lot of experiences with grandma. So for me, Aunt Lorraine kind of became a grandma for me, and I loved going to her house for the summers, and um, I would spend like a week or so there, but it would be just me and Aunt Lorraine, and we would do puzzles, and like those are like things that I love to do, and like I like I loved spending time with her. I would go out and get the kitties and play with the cats and you know I like that and like when I met them they were all pretty much their husbands had passed so I met them as strong independent women you know living their lives and even grandma like she was always a strong independent woman you know so what I like I one thing I feel like I've taken especially from like this side of my family is like strong independent women 
That's cool. That's a great legacy. I think they would love that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's appropriate. Grandma and Lorraine. Mm-hmm. And Janine, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's amazing, you know, watching Aunt Janine as she's losing her sister and knowing that it's affecting her, but not ever seeing any real displays of emotion or... Yeah. And, you know, you, you knew she was hurting, but you also, it's just, it's one of those things that happens in life. And I'm not sure if it's their faith that makes them feel... Like, this isn't it. They'll see each other again. You know, there's, they're going to live on an eternity together. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just amazed me. And maybe she cried or had her emotion privately. privately and yeah. maybe that's just how they... I mean, Mom was very private, so I think Aunt Lorraine was also very private. I mean, she endured the loss of two husbands and... You know, nobody ever really knows the story of why she didn't have children. I don't even think Aunt Janine knows right. why wow. she didn't have children. Wow. Um, and to know if Mom knew or not, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And that's a question I wish I could ask now. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, again, just some of the, um, there's so much... There's a sense of beauty in that stoicism, too. And as you said, not a coldness, yeah. but just a survivor. Yeah. A very quiet strength. Oh, my mom's pointing to a ladybug that just landed on our window. Hi, ladies. <laughs> that's, that's how we'll take that. <laughs> Hi, ladies. That's awesome. Yeah, I... Uh I agree with you, Michelle. There's a real beauty in that stoicism. And I also think, you know, that as far as death and accepting death, I mean, I thought Lorraine did a magnificent job of accepting what was coming her way. I think Janine did a magnificent job in terms of what we saw of accepting her, you know, how her sister's death was going to affect her and her recognition of her own mortality in line with that. And I think that's generational as well. You know, it's partly how they were, you just don't have time for fretting about things like that. And you just accept, again, you just accept what life is bringing you. You don't fight it. You can't change it, you know, and there's a tranquility that comes with that let it be kind of attitude. And I think that's a lesson they learned every year because being in farming, you never know right. what's going to happen to you at the end of the year or, you know, at the end of the season. I mean, you could have... It's the roll of the dice. Life. Absolutely. You're at the mercy of the weather. Yeah. I mean, everything. Bugs. What, you know, whatever. So I think that there is... I mean, I just feel like that's a lesson that they... That was just something that was ingrained in them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we almost feel like we couldn't ask them either about some things just because, like, that's their personal. And, like, I feel like the way they were raised, it was like, don't ask, don't tell, kind of, you know? And um, it's like things you want to ask, but you also don't want to invade their personal space and their, like, 
like, you know, you don't want to bring up those emotions too for them. So, and we, I, we talked, we had a conversation about this recently. I think that's very true of our family. And I told you, I wish we were kind of more in each other's business. Mm-hmm. I think to a fault, we stand back because that's how we were taught to be. I think Uncle Clem just passed by on the motorcycle. <laughs> the listeners might have heard that too. We're getting like yeah, waves from is. heaven all over the place. Yeah, there he is. There he is. Sorry to distract you, Mom. No, I agree. No, I agree with that 100 percent, Carrie. I think that's really good insight on your part, and absolutely true. Um, that's why we would never ask Aunt Lorraine why did you ever have kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? we'd ask everybody else, but not Aunt Lorraine. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah, because you feel like it's not my business. It you was know? part of her life's fate, and that's just right. But she and it's private. You don't ask about it. Yeah, you know. But again, I agree with you that that's been to a detriment. Right. I feel like there are so many unanswered things, and that's probably true of anybody, anytime, anywhere, something passes. But I do to one extent or another. Yeah. I do feel inside this family specifically that there is that whole there's hands off. Yeah, we all kind of put a wall around each other just a little bit around ourselves. I should say that. Right. You know, we respect everybody else's wall. Right. Yeah. We're respectful of the walls. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not necessarily that it's good. Right. But it's part of family culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michelle, what's one of your favorite memories from the farm? So this is actually one that i spoken about. Um, and I don't know, maybe you'll give me the benefit of having two. One which will tear my heartstrings. Um, that milk. In <laughs> <laughs> the refrigerator, I was there one summer, and she said, would you like to make some ice cream? And it was hot, and I said, sure. And so we went in and got some of the cream off of the top of that milk, and we made some ice cream. And as I've said, I'm pretty sure ice cream was a negative calorie food at that time because as much as you cranked on that crank, I'm sure you worked off a bunch of calories before you <laughs> had ever one bite because you had the rock salt and the ice and the, you know, that, the vanilla bean that was in there. I mean, that's, that's the best vanilla ice cream I will ever have taste and I can still taste that in my mouth um, my other thing is I'm just so grateful for as much as she loved Carrie not having had mom yeah yeah having her be a yeah matriarchal figure yeah. not expressive and, and loving to somebody so far, you know, removed maybe. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, those would be my and I will be. I mean, as we all know, that farm is coming to a close. Um, I don't know. I'm just so grateful to have the understanding, and I'm sure I don't even have a tenth of an understanding, but what's involved in creating food to feed this country and, you know, the milk and the chicken and pigs and the grain and all of it. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was just sitting here kind of thinking uh, how interesting it is. You know, again, how different our experiences are based on generation, you know, when we we're born and lucky enough to be around. And we think of life as being very enriched as time goes by because of the progress that we make, you know, the things that we achieve and the discoveries we make. And, and you've got that pocket of wealth and treasure, and then you've got the pocket of wealth and treasure that lies in the past that's gone forever. I just think that's an interesting contrast there. Yeah. I mean, you have to respectfully... Right, but just the world yes. is the world is rich and the world is full and the w- world is magical and so dramatically different from yes. you know what it was a couple of generations ago. And that's, that's the way it is all through all through. And I got more of the farm experience on my dad's side of the family because he was like his dad was had a farm and like they didn't have a lot of land necessarily they only had like 10 acres maybe so it wasn't necessarily an absorbent amount of land but they had cows and chickens and I always remember going out and picking the chicken the eggs in the morning to have for breakfast and stuff like that and my grandpa was very one with the earth he loved to garden and to make everything at home he did like electrical work he did um, he built his own house that they, they ended up living in. Like he built so many furniture pieces that my parents have in their house, like now. And so, like his from his garden, they created jams and peaches, and they even had like vegetables. And I remember all the canned vegetables just being lined up in their house all the time. And so, I mean, I don't I didn't necessarily get the real farm experience from. Um, like this side of my family, but my dad's side of the family, I, I got to see a little bit into it. And like, I, I always cherish that because I loved going to the farm and I like, I have the utmost respect for my grandfather for who, for being able to do everything with his own hands, you know? Yeah. And like, I think that it's really a generational thing too. Like I didn't get to experience it on this half because I kind of came into this side of my family a little bit later in my life. Like, 11 or 12 but I always had that from my dad's side because they were a little bit closer to where he lives and so there's something pretty profound about putting a seed in the ground and producing something and then eating it you know or even better sharing it with somebody else um you just think about that experience that they they had that was their life you know how fulfilling that must have been. Mm-hmm. And we always got a half a cow every year from my grandpa, and, like, that was the best. Like, I love that steak. Like, when we had steak for dinner, it was the best night ever. And, I mean, when I eat steak now, I just don't think it compares to the steak I had growing up. And, I mean, my grandfather's passed, so the cows haven't, you know, we don't get that anymore. And it's, you know, that was something that we had to kind of accept, and that was really hard. Yeah. But, you know, we also... Like it's something that we'll cherish forever. So. Mom, did you share your favorite memory from the farm? Um, I don't know, so many of them. I I have to. Oh my gosh. Um, I loved my time in college when I went to the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, and Clem would come and get me on the weekends and take me back. Um. I have such, at that point in my life, I think a little more perspective on 
how they were living and what life, how unique life was there as opposed to the way I lived my life, you know, every day. So those were really special times to be able to go back on the weekends and be with them and be back in that environment, you know, with... You were, like, in and out of the contrast a little bit more to make it explicit. Right, right. So I don't know that I have a specific memory that I would... I mean, I could give you a long list of things, but but if I just flash back on a, a time when I felt the most pleasure and pride in being a even a small part of that life. I think it happened when I was in college and I get to come back. I mean, come pick me up on the weekends and on the motorcycle, no uh, doubt. No, he, he actually picked me, he picked me up in the truck and we'd stop at the truck stop on the way back and get a slice of apple pie with cinnamon ice cream. And then we drive on. It's just him and I. That was always really cool. And then drive on to the farm and pretend like we were still hungry for dinner. <laughs> He was such a, an amazing man, too. Uncle Clem. Yes, he, he was. Had the handlebar mustache that was always greased. Perfectly waxed. Like yeah. waxed, yeah. With uh, pride. Waxed, yeah. yes. And he used to be able to do the Donald Duck impression. Loved that. Like, there was no, no other. Yeah, what a great human being. Yeah, he was. Very patient, hardworking, humor, great sense of humor. And it's fun because I found him to be somewhat stoic as well. Um, However, as he got to be towards the end of his life, to sit there and listen to him talk about uh, wooing Aunt Janine and all the things that were involved in that and just... What did he say? uh, There was something about a ditch. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Were they on a date and they went into the ditch or she was in the ditch and he pulled over to help her? I think that's how they met. Yeah, her car had gone in the ditch because he was significantly older than she was. Um... Yeah. What was that story about the ditch? This is landing so well. <laughs> I know. That but yeah, it's not that. that. It was the beauty of the emotion that this man expressed towards the end of his life about finding the love finding of his her. Love. Yeah. yeah. Love of his life. Yeah. And just, you know, how you understand that these are people who go out every day and endure the elements and, you know, whatever comes their way. And yet, his heart was just so, so big. You know? I remember him telling me about the Model T that he owned, and they were, after they got married, they were going to take off, you know, and go wherever they were going to go for their little honeymoon night or whatever. And some friends had put put the Model T, had jacked it up enough so that you didn't notice it really. But when he got in to take off, they didn't go anywhere because the rear tires were up off the ground. Oh, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he's accelerating and they're not going anywhere. And yeah, that was a pretty funny story. That was what I didn't hear until the end. But yeah, yeah. So if you're each thinking about your experiences with our family in Nebraska and time on the farm, and you were, you know, holding it in your hands and sort of, I don't know, bottom lining it for the people who are listening. You would say, all I know is, you guys have to duke it out, I guess, for who goes first. Go ahead. 
I'm struggling because I feel like there's so much to know. Yeah, there's so much to know. But I don't know that I could narrow it down to. Yeah, I would say all I know is I look back on those days, those times, that lifestyle, that way of being, and and find it romantic, simple, colorful, um, meaningful, in a way that uh, I haven't experienced anything at this end of the spectrum. Um, I would say all I know is strong, independent women, you know? Um, I love that you brought that full circle, Carrie. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I just, like, that kind of, that's one thing that I feel like I've taken from going to the farms and seeing Aunt Janine and Aunt Lorraine and Grandma and just how they can live their lives without you know, the need of a man, and, like, in their time, I feel like that was so important, you know, like, you, the have, you gotta have that, that support, that man in your life, and particularly with that lifestyle. Exactly, yeah, and so to watch them continue their lives on once their man have passed or moved on or whatever else, and I just think that strong, independent woman is all I know. I love it. Thank you. I guess all I would say is all I know is I'm so grateful that I've been exposed to that because I feel like so many people don't get the benefit of that Um, and that there are so many lessons to be learned in all of it and how much I would have missed had I not. I'm just grateful. Just grateful. Amen. Thanks for doing this, you guys. Yeah. I really appreciate it. So we're going to close like we close every episode with the questionnaire by Bernard Pivot that James Lipton uses at the end of Inside the Actor's Studio. And um, maybe to keep it simple, we'll just go around in, in order of age. And you guys want to start with oldest or youngest? Youngest. Oh. <laughs> oldest. There you go, Carrie. You're number one. But Jill gets the exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, what's your favorite word? Oh, I can't. Um, fuck. <laughs> hey, it's okay. <laughs> it's allowed. Family. Oh, we are going all the way around. Elephant. Okay, starting again with Carrie. What's your least favorite word? Bitch. <laughs> I'm detecting a theme here. Issues. Trump. Mm. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally? Connections with people, like being able to have conversations. Because I'm not always easy to make conversation with. And I think that like family connections, creating that connection with people, I just... Positive energy. An airline ticket. An airline ticket? Mm-hmm. I should have been able to guess that. What turns you off? Inconsiderate. Being inconsiderate. 
Because I feel like I try to accommodate for other people, and when people don't, like, do the same, it really it bothers me. Yeah. Stupid drivers. Stupid drivers, which is very apt for the moment. Unkindness. Okay, Carrie, we're right up your alley here. What's your favorite curse word? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> um, I feel like mine would be shit. It's really good. Yeah, I think it'd have to be fuck. What sound or noise do you love? Um. The waves, the sound of the waves in the ocean. I would say my family in conversation. Laughter. What sound or noise do you hate? Noise when I'm focused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I'm focused and doing something, if there's a loud noise or just even the littlest noise, I'm like, stop it. Horns. Horns? Mm-hmm. Like honking horns or musical horns? No, honking horns. Honking horns. Yeah. A crying infant. What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? A food critic. Oh, yeah. That'd be a great job. Let's do it together. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Family business. Yeah. Uh, nutritionist. Rock star. It's so inappropriate that I just can't stand laughing. You have to pick a different. What kind? No, what kind of rock star? Like what, what kind of rock star? Like, like Britney Stevie. Spears? Okay. No, like Stevie. No. Okay, okay. School in that. Then that doesn't yeah. make me laugh. Yeah, you don't want to be up there. Yeah, I was just like, oh. You get off. What profession would you definitely not like to do? Construction. Doctor. Teaching. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? We've been waiting for you. It's all here. Come see your family. Thanks again, you guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode of All I Know and sincerely hope that this conversation amongst the few females in a family will help you reflect a little bit on uh, the heartland of your own family and what you can draw from it, what you can preserve of it as progress continues to happen. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that what they have to say is going to fall on ready ears, and we couldn't do that without you. Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information, and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. 
All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me, with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's jess, J-E-S-S, dot know at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen, for all of us here at the show, reminding you, catch all the light you can.